0: Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they might have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Children ages three years to kindergarten are now dismissed for the little landing. Good morning, faith family
1: at the landing. What a joy to worship in prayer and in song and in reciting truths, I'm not gonna stop worshiping when I begin to preach. We're gonna keep worshiping over the word. Isn't it wonderful that the Alaska trip is back home safe and well? Praise the Lord, we're glad you're all back. Almighty God and Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for watching over our precious ones that we sent by a completely untrustworthy airline up to a faraway place where there was dangers where they slept and changes and twists and turns at every corner, but none which were not under your sovereign, absolute ownership and control. And you provided for them while we were praying back here, and you sustained them and you blessed them, and I can't wait to hear of the multiplying victories you achieved for yourself in their lives, the joys you granted, the blessings, the privileges, the costly ministry efforts that will yield, no doubt, the Word going out and achieving, not failing at its good purposes to return back to you all the fruit and reward of your gospel. May there be children who came to the Vacation Bible School and adults who came to the marriage seminars and conversations and meals and people watching out of the corner of their eye how these strange Duluthians act, that they might see Christ and be drawn to faith in you. May the church awaken, be strengthened to love and cherish and proclaim your word all the stronger, as may we for having sent them. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to be a part of the global cause of Christ around the world by which you will save from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation a bride for yourself. And you are doing it now. Oh, thank you for not passing us by and giving every other church the privilege of joining in the great and happy task. Thank you for giving us our place as well. We pray for rest and refreshment for everyone who engaged, both the travelers and those in Anchorage for this coming week, and we pray for the Word of God to dwell heavy and rich on those who heard it. Now dwell heavy and rich by your Word um, over us in Revelation 22, the last of the last book of the Bible. If there's any sermon that I would preach and you'd take me after it, it would be this one. But if you don't take me after I preach this one, then I'll assume there's more to go. Thank you for Revelation. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for Revelation 22, this very last unit in 14 to 21. May it ring in our ears with beauty and joy and power and delight. May it welcome us into your presence. May it awaken the dead to new life may it stir the sleeping to more zeal and passion as they awaken for Christ and may it give unity to the body and sharpen us as we engage in mission and ministry for your name's sake we pray all these things amen i had so much fun writing this this is me having fun over a passage so if this is complicated and thick and dense with all kinds of stuff in it then just get the manuscript later don't wor- don't worry about keeping notes or tracking with me, this is just my stream of consciousness as I'm writing over the word. The most loving people in the world are those living in the light of Christ's return as he brings the next. The most loving people in this world are those living in the light of Christ's return bringing the next. I get that because you may know that there are seven different blessings declared in the book of Revelation. Do you know this? Seven, blessed are you, or blessed are they. There are seven of those. It's not a mistake. It's because God says, I want my perfect blessing to be poured out on the people referred to in Revelation, on my church, my seven churches in Asia Minor, but also on my church around the world, my perfect bride. I proclaim seven blessings. They're not surprising. Let me read them for you and delight in them because if you're in Christ, they're yours. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near, Revelation 1-3. Reading, hearing, and keeping the words guarantees blessing from God. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them, Revelation 14-13. Trusting in Christ... All the way till we die guarantees blessing. Praise the Lord. Third, bless. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Revelation 16:15. So, Christians staying awake and thinking about Christ and being zealous to think about how Christ is working on the earth and in their hearts, they have a guaranteed blessing from Revelation. Fourth, Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Receiving the invitation is the blessing to eat at the banquet of Christ's delights forever and ever as His beloved bride. Fifth, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. Revelation 20, verse 6, the first resurrection, believing in Christ being raised to newness of life that we symbolize in baptism Just like Ed just prayed, that blessing guarantees that those who are raised with Christ, that is born again, will be priests and reign with Him for a thousand years. Sixth, and behold, I'm coming soon. We saw this last week. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keep against all forces. That's what keep means. And those who say, I'm going to live out everything the Bible says, even though the culture will mock me, even though they'll hate me, even though they will reject me and call me mentally ill, they'll call me names, they'll put me in prison for lies, they'll trump up against me. Still, I will keep the word of God. Praise His name. I will keep the Word of God as Christ helps me. And there's a blessing promised to all who do. Finally, in today's message, it begins in verse 14 with the seventh blessing. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates, Revelation 22, 14, which plainly teaches those who have come with their filthy souls, mine and yours and washed him as it were, in the water of life. That is, washed our sins in the blood that Christ shed upon the cross. We are guaranteed the blessing, not only of clean souls, sin washed away, but His righteousness granted to us, and that an authority, a right. Do you see how it says a right? So that purpose we may have the right to the tree of life. That glorious tree that's, that's spreaded, spread across the watery, life-giving river. Flowing from the throne of God. A tree with roots that go deep down in soil in heaven. And then arches together high above with a canopy. And, and the light of the glory of God shooting through with rays of color. That river, that tree is the tree of life. That's our eternal life. That image that I I spent so much time this week and even yesterday and last night and early this morning imagining, what's it like to be in that tree? That's my eternal life. It's, It's solid and firm. Its roots go down as deep and as high as the canopy goes up. But it's also what I'm inside and safe in, I'm at home in, I'm beloved in, I'm understood in, I'm welcomed in, I'm cherished in, and and with all those who know and love Christ with me because Christ is there. God's perfect blessings, all seven of them proclaimed in Revelation, come to the reader and the keeper of the words of this book. Therefore, Two two things stunned me when I wrote that sentence. Number one, why, why, oh why, would any preacher or any church or any Christian not savor the book of Revelation? If seven blessings are promised to the reading and keeping of this book, then we probably just should be going through this book every year. Somebody else can preach, because I'm all worn out on it. I'm overwhelmed by it, and there's 10,000 sermons to be preached from Revelation, higher and greater and better than what I've preached. But the book is boundless in its blessing, infinite in its blessing. Why don't we saturate our mind on the book of Revelation instead of running from it as we do? That's the first observation. Second observation, if these seven blessings are the promised blessings for the believers, both in the life to come and now, which they are, Then believers who know and love Jesus Christ and have met Him as the returning king in the book of Revelation, they've seen what was hidden by Daniel hundreds of years before, now revealed. Jesus Christ, the one revealed and the one revealing. They are then the happiest, most fulfilled, honest, truthful, trustworthy, blessed people, overflowing in love to others, Successfully battling against their own grudges? Refraining from sins of self-righteousness and hatred and gossip and slander? Sexual immorality, greed, pride and arrogance? If, if they're the people basking in and receiving those sevenfold blessings, are they not the happiest, truest, most love-overflowing people the whole world? May ever encounter. They are the ones to be trusted, to be loved. They're the ones you want to marry. They're the ones you want to build ministries and businesses with. They're the ones you want working on you when you're going through surgery. They're the ones you want flying the plane. They're the ones you want running the country. Are they not? because of this sevenfold structure of the book of Revelation, blessing upon blessing seven times, the perfect blessing of God, we can see that these blessings tell us exactly how to live until Christ returns. Now, I'm not going to look at the first six. My passage today is to look at the seventh. But imagine a study. Imagine a study. This is why I say Some really smart other preacher could just run with this, write a book about this, and then preach a whole bunch of sermons on this that I hadn't even thought to preach. What if somebody said, I'm going to preach a seven-fold series on each of the blessings of the book of Revelation? Brilliant idea. Seven chapters in a book, seven sermons in a series, it'd be awesome. We're going to look at the seventh one today. And and what I want you to notice is if you unfold the passage Ed just read, this seventh blessing begins at verse 14. You see it there. But then there are six enactments of this blessing. Six enactments. Do you know what I mean by enactment? I mean the practical thing that the Holy Spirit wants every one of us to do right now and to do the rest of the day and the rest of our week and the rest of our lives until Christ comes back. The practical enactments. How do you take this seventh blessing, this last one, verse 14, and how do you live it out practically? In other words, what do you want Christ to be finding you doing when he comes back? It's right here. What's true discipleship? What is the Christian life? What do parents who love Christ pour into their kids? What do grandparents who love Christ pour into their grandchildren? What do disciples pour into the one they're discipling? What do mentors in spiritual things pour into the one they're mentoring? What do pastors and elders pour into their people? It's right here. It's right here. The six commands or enactments live out the practical Christian life. It's almost like John is saying, yeah, wasn't it amazing to think about the demons and all the blood and the violence and all that's coming and then then to think about Christ coming back faithful and true on the white horse And he's going to end all the death and the violence and bring everything to right, to peace, to newness, and to glory. And and that's all so big and so over our heads and so untouchable, it seems, by our small lives. We can pray for it. We can cry out, come Lord Jesus. But then we're we're turning back to the challenges of our day-to-day life. The seven churches at the beginning who are addressed all through the book, they turn back to, to Sardis or Pergamum or Ephesus or Philadelphia. We turn back to the Northland, Duluth, Minnesota. Or maybe, maybe you, you will be turning back to your community, to Cloquet or Esco or Superior or where you live now or in the future, and you say, how do I live out the glories I've seen of Christ in Revelation in this place and with these people And in this setting right now, the answer is given in this very last unit of the book of Revelation chapter 22. Six enactments. And because it's so much fun for me to do this, I think about each one of these six enactments as an element of this glorious tree of life, and it helps me. You'll see what I mean. Enactment number one. We've been blessed with this seventh blessing to wash clean our souls in the blood of Christ. See that in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, verse 15, are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Christ came into the world not to divide persons who were in the right from persons who are in the wrong. He came into the world to all persons who each one was in the wrong. He alone was in the right. And He says, I'm going to write in a book before the foundation of the world and choose for Myself a people who do not deserve to be in this book, but their names are there. And I'm going to give My body and My blood broken for them and My blood poured out in order that I make, might make purification for sins. Listen to Hebrews 1. Christ He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power after making purification for sins. That's you and me. He didn't just create an offering that you have to then complete by taking it yourself. He actually made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, confirming he was successful in making purification for sins, which is why he declares on the cross at the end of his death, it is finished. You and I were among those listed in verse 15, murderers, sexually immoral. We've committed idolatry. We've committed sorcery. We've practiced falsehood. That's who we have been. But the scandal, the wonder, the glory of the gospel is that if you come to Christ, He applies His blood to your life and your sins are washed away. Not just past sins, but today's sins and all the sins that you'll commit until Christ returns. Praise His name. Think about that. Christ's glory is mind-boggling and even scandalous because He forgives the sins of His bride, all who come to Him by faith. This is the heavenly tree in heaven. Imagine in that tree, glorious and beautiful and strong with a cleft in it, a gap, almost like the lightning bolt of the glory of God in some past time crashed into the tree and broke it open. And that cleft remains there and that cleft is the doorway, the entryway by which we come to the water of life and come under the canopy of this glorious tree and live there. We, we wash and frolic and with joy we delight in the river which is the Holy Spirit and, and out of it we say, this is what I was made for. This is my very life. This is what I want every precious person to know. This is what defines my existence. I am now welcomed through the cleft in the tree into the living water where I will exist in joy and in new life before the Lord forever. One of my theological instructor heroes, not that I've ever met him, but I read his books and find help from them, is a man named Francis Schaeffer. In 1976, he was addressing a conflict in the West and in the United States, but Western Europe and even Russia to some degree, much like we face right now. He wrote a book called How Then Shall We Live? And and here's a helpful quote from it. He said, God exists and he has not been silent but has spoken to people in the Bible and through Christ was the basis for the return to a more fully biblical Christianity in the days of the Reformers. It was a message of the possibility that people could return to God on the basis of the death of Christ alone. It doesn't happen just once. Have you ever washed your sins clean in the blood of the Lamb? If you haven't, come wash your sins clean in the blood of the Lamb. Walk through the cleft of the tree into the living water in which you are washed But it doesn't happen just once. How do I know that? When you look carefully right down at the verses in front of us, you can see, especially in the original language, that there's this ongoing washing. Verse 14 Blessed are those who wash on and on. Or you could translate it Blessed are those who go on washing their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life. This is the normal Christian life. This is the sort of thing Francis Schaeffer went on to write about. This is what Martin Luther before him writes about, and this is what the Scriptures make plain, especially in the Apostle Paul's writings. The normal Christian life is constantly saying, Lord, I have sinned, and I am unworthy to enter through your cleft tree, as it were, through your broken body, into the joy and the new life that you've provided for me in Christ. I am unworthy again. I must come to you again. And as it were, pray the Lord's prayer today. Lord, give me today, this day, my daily bread, and today, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. It's an ongoing pattern. Mark this. Everyone ready and preparing for the Lord Jesus Christ to return Will have an ongoing habit of confessing and receiving forgiveness of their sins every day. That's a declaration I trust the Lord will give to you deeply and shape the way you go to the Lord and bathe in His washing, cleansing, life giving water every day. You notice how it says at the end of verse 14, enter the city gates, enter the city gates. I take that to mean your home. Paul said, So we are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are always away, rather, when we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, he says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's inside the city gates. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This is this desire that we have to say, I was made for another world other than this one. I was made for heaven. I was made to come into heaven, not through the effort of my own righteousness, but through the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. And he broke his body for me. He cleft the tree, as it were, that I might come into his presence and enjoy his blessing, not just one day, but repeatedly in this life and infinitely in the life to come. The second enactment comes from verse 16. We enact the blessing by responding to our purification of sins, our washing of our souls with worship. Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Did you notice the I am? John's using an I am statement here to say Christ is declaring himself to be God. He said last week, we saw in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's a declaration that he's equal with God. He's eternal. Nothing before him, nothing after him. Now he says, I am the root and descendant of David. What does that mean? It means the I am is also a man from a human lineage. He's fully human. He's the descendant on the throne of David forever and ever. That was promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and elsewhere the I am statements apply to both. He's both Alpha and Omega, I am God, divinity, and I am the Son of David. I am fully human. I am Jesus Christ, the God-man, worthy of our worship, worthy of all praise. Worthy of all honor and joy and blessing. That helps us understand what the title he gives to himself, the bright morning star, means. So many songs and hymns are written about this glorious image. Christ is the bright morning star. What does it mean? It means he was, according to Numbers 24, the king who would rise up over and rule Israel in righteousness. Isaiah 60 promises that this bright morning star will come in the future at the end times. Verse 3 of Isaiah 60 says, All nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It means Christ is the sovereign king, the bright morning star. It means he rules over everything. It means he's a, a, a man seated on the throne of David because he's a descendant of David, and it means he's fully God, the Alpha and the, Alpha and the Omega, and nothing hinders his will. He is the Lamb of God, and he is fully God. All angels, all demons, all creation, all those in the tree of life and in the city gates who love Him, all those in the lake of fire who despise Him, they all worship Christ. Every knee bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't think that's a one-time thing. I think that's permanent vocation of all creation. All nature, all angels, all demons, all the beloved bride, the church, and all the inhabitants of the lake of fire who despise him will worship forever. Like a tree whose leaves lean with the breeze toward the sunlight and whose fruit is just bursting with flavor and with color and with fragrant aroma, whose flowers are just bursting, whose buds are beautiful beyond description, that tree is worshiping the glory of the light that beams down upon it from the face of God. Our very life must be a life of worship, in that book that I mentioned, Francis Schaeffer, How Then Shall We Live, he spends lots of time talking about how Christians have lost their capacity for imagination. And that's so true, we've become so small, so narrow, so fixed, we, we either think, that I only want to do the kind of nostalgic things that used to be meaningful to me years ago, but I don't, I don't want to dare worship in any new or biblically creative way now, or we think we have to pick a time in history where they seem to have gotten worship right and we just try to replicate that in some silly sort of imposter sort of way, some nostalgic retro worship. But in fact the very Christian life, those who are marked as those loving Christ until He returns are filled with new and imaginative, biblically sound and creative ways to worship Him. New songs will be written. New paintings will be painted. New buildings will be constructed. New art will be envisioned. New writing. New structures of every sort and kind the imagination will be itself redeemed and therefore a tool in the hands of the living God for His worship. Third, verse 17. We're under this blessing. How do we enact it? We receive our forgiveness. We respond in worship. Third, we enact the blessing by thirsting after Christ. Thirsting. The Spirit, verse 17, and the bride say, Come, come. So that's the Holy Spirit, and the rest of believers in heaven and around the world, that's the bride, they're saying to unbelievers, come. They're saying to believers, come. Let the one who hears, that is all those who have heard, you say to those who are beyond you, come. Let the one who is thirsty, do you see how hearing and thirsty are the the parallel? It's the same thing in this verse, verse 17, the hearer, the hearers are the ones who are thirsty. The hearers and the thirsty say, come, let the one who desires, and now we know the hearers and the thirsty are also those who desire. They take the water of life without price. The thirsty are those whose desires are for Christ. And like Tom prophetically prayed as we were in singing worship a few moments ago, not are you thirsty, but what are you thirsting for? It's it's a gift from God to turn to, to all the toxic, counterfeit Poisonous, unhelpful liquids, the devil, your flesh, and the world would offer us to try to slake our thirst but only kill us, and say, No, I want the living water. I'm thirsty for pure water. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I couldn't sleep the other night. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sleep. And so about four in the morning, I got up. I don't normally do this, normally sleep pretty well. And I thought, I don't know what to do to help myself go to sleep, but I am so thirsty. We'd had sort of a thirst-creating meal the night before. I didn't drink any water at the meal. I had a cup of coffee after dinner, but I never had any water in the evening before. And I realized, oh yeah, I need a really big cold drink of water. And then I fell back to sleep. If you're thirsty for anything other than the living water of Christ, notice the instruction, the enactment. Look at it again with me. What's the instruction to the person who says, I wish I was more thirsty for Christ than I am. I have to confess that I I am so quickly enamored to drink the uh, phony drinks that don't actually satisfy my soul, the counterfeit waters out there. What's the answer to that person? The spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears, that's part of the bride, the one who's heard, it's a description of the bride. They are the ones who've heard. They say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty, that's those who are in the bride already, that's the church believers that you know, they're the thirsty ones. They say, Come. Let the one who desires, that's you and me, take the water of life. Without price, it's free. It's a reference, obviously, to Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. All who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David what this verse says so plainly is that the body of Christ and the gifts and fruits God has given to others are meant to create a thirst for Christ in you. The body of Christ, the bride, the one who have heard, the the ones who are thirsty, they are there present in your life to create a thirst for you. When I read Francis Schaeffer or Charles Spurgeon or or Jonathan Edwards, or one of the Puritans, I get more thirsty for God. When I'm with you, I get more thirsty for God. When you're with each other, I stand back as your pastor, and I watch how you get more thirsty for God when you spend time with each other. We have a whole host of things in our worship folder for you to go to, not just so that you can sit quietly and learn while someone else teaches you, but so that you can engage with the bride the thirsty, those who've heard and gain thirst yourself. The saddest person, the most deadly spiritual condition to be, is when so saturated by the false and unsatisfying impure waters, simply says, no, no water for me. I'm full and I don't want any more. I've had enough. A historian named Stephen Nichols is fond of quoting the famous Charles Spurgeon, London preacher, middle of the 19th century. Here's the quote he likes from Spurgeon. I like it too. Spurgeon says, I find it odd that those who think so highly of what the Holy Spirit teaches them think so little of what the Holy Spirit teaches others. Short but penetrating. Thank you, Charles Spurgeon. Drink deeply from the fountain of His delights. Gather with others around Him. Gather and enjoy the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit through those who are different than you, not those who are just exactly like you. Let your thirst rise by reading people from another century, by reading be- about believers in other parts of the world, by hearing about believers elsewhere in the body of Christ. That stirs your thirst. Yes! I want something of that too. It's happened to me so often, I can barely even count how many times other people's experience of the Holy Spirit has stirred thirst in me. Fourth, look at verses 18 and 19. We enact the blessing by receiving the entire word. Stunning how Ed prayed this just a few moments ago. Couldn't believe it as I was bowed in prayer. Yes yes, and amening Ed's prayer. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. It says trust in the whole Bible. It says God has ordained every word that's in the Bible. Dismiss, belittle, minimize none of them. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So John said in Revelation 22, verse 6, we saw this last week, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place, Revelation 22:6. 6. John is not saying plagues are added to people when they disagree over legitimate interpretations of the Bible careful Christians who own up to every word that's there have different viewpoints or interpretations over minor and secondary matters. That's not the person who has plagues coming or their place in the tree of life taken away. No, no. This is the person who looks square into the Bible and says, I don't like what it says. I'm going to ignore that part or deny it and flip it as if it isn't there. That's the person who has no place in the tree of life and has plagues awaiting them. That's what this verse promises. It says the whole Bible is precious because God wrote it, not because we think we deem it helpful. Let me get more specific. Here's how I say it. This is helpful for me. I hope this is helpful for you. The Bible, in its 66 books, does not contain truth. It is truth. Does that distinction mean a lot to you? I hope it does. The Bible in its 66 books does not contain truth. It is truth. If it merely contained truth, we would be the ones lording over it, having to read through it and say, oh, there's truth. I'm going to pull that out. Oh, there's truth. I'm going to pull that out. Oh, there's truth. I'm going to pull that out. That's the source of all false teaching. That's the source of all errant ideas in the world. But if we step back and say, I humble myself before the whole of Scripture, and I dare not add to, take away, or modify anything there at all, then I am remade by the Bible, which is truth. Lifeway, a publishing company of Christian books, every two years does a survey. And here was the 2022 top four bullet points of their survey of American evangelicals, not American Christians, American evangelicals. Listen, almost three out of four, 73%, agree with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That's heresy. He's not a created being. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the I Am. 73% said, Yep, that's true. He's a created being. American evangelicals. More than half, 58%, believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's heresy. He doesn't accept the worship of Judaism and Islam or any other religion, only those who come to Him through Christ. More than half, 56%, agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. The Spirit and the bride say come. More than half, 55%, believe the Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. Breathtaking error. I'm not smart enough or wise enough, or well-read enough to say where we've gone wrong. But in 2022, if the Church of Jesus Christ among evangelicals in America believes these false doctrines at majority numbers like this, we have failed miserably. Like a tree that feeds in heaven its massive canopy, its fragrant flowers, its delicious and bright-colored fruit, Its solid, immovable trunk and limbs and root system only cleft open by God for the welcoming of the bride. Its roots go deep into the very soil of heaven which itself is as immovable as the tree and that soil is the Word of God. The believers who will be most helpful and useful To God until Christ comes and ready when Christ arrives are those who not only have washed clean their robes, not only do they worship in thanksgiving, but they also soak their roots, as it were, deep in every syllable of God's Word. Fifth, look at verse 20. Blessed and enacting that blessing with a hope, a surging, strong hope, that Christ is coming back. After 2,000 years, Christ is coming back? Yes. With all the degradation that's gone on in the world, you still think Christ is coming back? I mean, with how ugly and violent and, and divided and hateful the world is, Christ is still coming back for this? Yes. How can I believe that Christ is coming back? So many people in so many religions believe so many foolish and deluded ideas that, that, that they give themselves as, as utter uh, foolish, humiliated people to false ideas, how can you stand there and say, after 2,000 years, Christ is certainly coming back? Paul said to Titus in chapter 2, verse 13, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that our hope still? Look at verse 20 carefully with me. This is Jesus talking. The angels have testified, John has testified, the Word has testified. Now look at verse 20. Jesus, at the very end of this book, says to your heart and to mine right now in verse 20, He who testifies, this is Jesus testifying to you right now and to me, to these things says, surely. Don't skip over that word. In Greek, it's nigh. It means absolutely. No question. Indeed. My entire integrity I place on this next sentence. That's what surely means. Its Greek term is nigh. It's much stronger than the word surely. It means I, on my integrity, am declaring to you right now, I am coming soon. If you believe what I taught about the Old Testament, if you believe what I taught about God, if you believe what I taught about the gospel in my free offer of salvation, if you believe that my death on the cross washed away your sins, if you believe I am God and worthy of worship, if you believe I'm the bright and morning star and that all the promises that I made to David are yours by faith, then believe me now, surely, that's what the word surely means, I am coming soon and the whole rest of the church, the whole rest of the bride, everyone with faith in their hearts says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Two things make it hard for you to say that. One, there might be sin in your heart that says, I feel like a phony to say, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. I feel like a phony to believe it. Because there's this weird kind of sick guilt that's bugging me in my heart. If that's true for you, before you leave this building or get out of your chair, confess that sin before the Lord and be washed clean of it today. Or you might find it hard to say, Amen, come Lord Jesus, because you think, I've got some plans, I've got some desires, I've got some dreams and hopes. Yes, my final hope is Christ, but I've got some some lesser hopes that I want to see happen now it's like Peter coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house and brother, sisters and mother, father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive it a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Whatever you say goodbye to in praying, come, Lord Jesus, the Lord takes, redeems, and purifies, and gives it back to you a hundredfold in the age to come. Christ's second coming, underscored and emblazoned with the word surely or the word nigh, yes, absolutely, I am coming, is utterly and crucially the most important next event in redemptive history. It's every bit as important as the cross and the resurrection. The coming of Christ makes nothing trivial, nothing joyless, nothing small, but everything we are and everything we do, serious and important and filled with joy. What if Christ came today? What if He came today? What if, what if He said... The last time the world saw me, I was hanging on a cross and I died. And very few of the world saw me face to face when I rose again before I ascended to the Father. Only a few, only, only a mere few hundreds. I would not let this world remember me only by my bloody face hanging on the cross, for I am the exalted God-man. I am coming back in glory so that this world and all my creation sees me to worship me in my stunning beauty believe in it hope in it live in the light of it the word surely proves that it's real believers who are ready for Christ's return are those who see that that white horse and the faithful and true written on his thigh and the angels and all the church in his mighty parade and, and, and entourage coming back to bring to an end all the dark, smoldering violence and wickedness and chaos on the earth. And we rejoice and say, I knew it, Lord Jesus. I knew it. You weren't lying. You came back. I can't wait for the Lord to come. I can't wait for the Lord to come. I can't wait for every secret to be exploded. I can't wait for every lie to be set right. I can't wait for every hatred to be demolished. I can't wait for every violence and evil thing to be ended once and for all. I cannot wait for Christ to come. The final enactment. Thank you for your patience. comes in verse 21. And it's how glorious books of the Bible end. What's the power that enables us to enact the blessing that we've been discovering and exalting in? Verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Churches, of the first three chapters that I send back to your difficult cities of Pergamum and Ephesus and Sardis... The grace of the Lord be with you. Christians in the Middle Ages, Christians during the Reformation, Christians in China and Asia, Christians in Africa and North and South America, Christians undergoing brand new species of persecution in the United States, the grace of the Lord be with you all. The grace of the Lord be with you in your youth group and in your young adults and in your men's and women's retreats. The grace of the Lord be with you as you study and teach. The grace of the Lord be with you as you go on missions trips and return. The grace of the Lord be with you as you marry and as you raise children, as you endure the degradation of your physical bodies and as you watch life unfold around you. May the grace of the Lord be with you all. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, says Paul, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Grace is power. It's, it's like sunshine shining down in heaven. It's like the glory of God in the face of Christ shining down in heaven upon the canopy, causing the flowers and the, and the leaves and the fruit to burst forth in all their glory, causing the, the trunk to be immovably firm, the roots to go down as deep, as high as the canopy, and, and for the soil to enrich every one of its nutrients into the tree in which we live in order that we might enjoy that fresh water forever. So Paul said, knowing he would never see the Ephesian elders again in this life until Christ returns, here's how he ended his sermon to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 32. Now I command you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Grace builds Let grace surge in every ministry of the landing. Let grace surge in your life. Let grace surge in every counseling conversation, discipleship conversation, every song, every sermon, every hug, every meal, every outreach endeavor, every sorrow, every joy. The most loving people in this world are those anticipating Christ's return to bring the next. So they're looking to the sky, they're so filled with love, they're ready to be poured out. They're ready to be offered and used as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. They, they dwell within the tree of life. You, wherever they go, they're, they're washed, they're clean. They're ready to engage in the moment because they're not carrying around years or decades of grudges and issues and struggles and secrets that weigh them down. They're powerful and eager. They're surging with hope. They're a thankful people. They seem to be stunningly happy for how old they are. They have no agendas to manipulate or put others down or compare themselves with anyone. They're living, ready for Christ to come back and saying, come Lord Jesus, absolutely confident that He is, because this final blessing in all of its enactments are coming to pass from one degree of glory to another in their lives. The trunk has opened and and it's cleft by a lightning bolt and they are welcomed in to wash their clothes clean of sin. Their leaves and fruit constantly turn upward in worship. The living water beneath the tree signals that they're in fellowship with the Spirit, enjoying the thirst He gives through the people of God. The rich soil is the entire Word of God on which they feed. The trunk is their fixed hope, a certainty on which they bank. Christ is surely coming back soon, and the light of God's glory shines down on them with grace for every need and power they require. So, what would the world be like if Jesus came back today? How would anybody think or talk differently if Jesus arrived today? The horse, the trumpet, the archangel, the cry of command. The graves all opening up. All the graves opening up. Best view for the second coming is an Airbnb right by a cemetery. Like my wife was telling me about this morning. Best view, popcorn, boom, 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 boom. What would the unbelievers say? In a sermon preached in 1857, Spurgeon, with this I close, said this, When Christ comes a second time, there will be a marvelous change in the way unbelieving men talk. Methinks I see him. There, Christ, he sits upon his throne. Now, Caiaphas, come and condemn him now. Judas, come, kiss him now. What do you stick at this man? Are you afraid of him? Now, Barabbas, go, see whether they prefer you to Christ now. Swearer and cursor, now is your time. You've been a bold man. Curse him to his face now. Drunkard, stagger up to him now. Infidel, tell him to his face that there is no Christ now that the world is lit with lightning and the earth is shaken with thunder. Tell God there's no God now. Now laugh at the Bible. Now scoff at the ministers. Why, men, what is the matter with you? Why can't you do it? Aha, there you are. You fled to the hills and to the rocks. Rocks hide us. Mountains fall on us. Hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. Aha. Where are now your boasts, your vaunting, your glories, alas, for you in that dread day of wonders? The Apostle Peter ends his second letter with, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Let's pray. I have thrilled, Lord, at the joy you have given to me over this passage, and I pray that even a portion of that thrill might be granted to those who've heard, those who've read, those who are eager to keep the words that we've read. Supply the seven blessings of Revelation to the church at the landing. Supply them to everyone here and everyone who isn't here. With whom we may have relationship or influence. Supply to the Church of Jesus Christ in the Northland and throughout Minnesota and the United States and across the globe the seven blessings of Revelation, whether they know to name them or not. Supply them generously. We are not counting on our cataloging in prayer, we're counting on your generosity to supply these blessings to us. Minister greatly these blessings to every heart and every life. Every person hungry and thirsty, make them hungrier and thirstier for You. Every person with sin, let them daily confess it. Every person abounding like a tree with beautiful leaves in thanks to You. Every person enjoying fellowship with the body and reading the whole of the Word, offering themselves ready for your coming, eager and believing that you are arriving soon and all this by the mighty grace that shines upon us. We're happy to sing of how great you are because we see in Revelation the apex of your greatness. We feel it, we sense it, we yearn for something more of it in our lives. Break in and do it, Lord. Show us your greatness even as we now worship you with this song in Jesus name I pray amen let's stand.